Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everyone. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is the Bay Curious Podcast, where we answer listener questions about the San Francisco Bay Area. I want to start off this week's episode with an icebreaker. If you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Okay, I'm just going to say the first thought, best thought, and that would be nachos. It would be really, really good bread and butter. That's like, there's no better food than that. I will love to eat potsickers for the rest of my life because uh, you get the carbs, which is on the outside, and then you get your veggies and meat or whatever you want in the filling, so you can be creative. Fried chicken. And why fried chicken? What is it about it? Oh, I love fried chicken. (laughs) So good. Pasta, because I'm Italian and it's in my blood. My blood is marinara and mozzarella. This is probably one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked in my life. (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna go with burritos. I've never found myself like opposed to eating a burrito or if anybody asked me to go out and get any of them. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're never like not in the mood for a burrito, right? Yeah. Those are the voices of some of my colleagues here at KQED. For me, the answer is obvious. It's a burrito. I'm actually kind of shocked more people didn't give that answer. Burritos have that perfect combination of carbs, protein, veggies, all wrapped up in a beautiful, portable package. Oh my gosh, it's so delicious. Now, I know a lot of you love burritos too, because over the years, you've sent in a lot of questions about them. Most often, questions about the history of the burrito, like was the burrito invented in San Francisco? And what exactly is a mission-style burrito? To start getting at some of those answers, we went to an expert. My name is Gustavo Ariano. I'm a columnist for the Los Angeles Times and also author of the book Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America. Ariano is a burrito historian, a job that I really wish I would have known was an option when I was choosing a career. Any origin story when it comes to Mexican food, very few of them are are indisputable. It's tough to nail down exactly where burritos truly come from, but what we do know is that the most popular style of burrito in America has roots that run through San Francisco. When you think of a burrito, you think humongous, humongous in a foil. You get to customize it to your own tastes and you say, oh, I can't eat it. It's too much. And then you eat it. You're like, oh, my God, I'm so full. But you kind of don't regret it. And then you do it again. What Americans now consider to be a burrito is the mission style burrito. And that's all because of Chipotle spreading around in the mid 1990s. I'll be honest, it feels like blasphemy to even utter the name Chipotle in a Bay Curious episode about burritos. But it's true. The chain did play a part in popularizing the style of burritos that have taken over the U.S. 
the founder of Chipotle, used to live in San Francisco. And so when he decided to open a burrito chain in Colorado, he modeled his business off the taquerias that he knew and loved here. So he got that exact same, what I call the stations of the burritos, the different stations, really, to customize your burrito. He replicated that. That spread around the country because a big mission-style burrito, it's perfect college late-night food. But here's the hot take. What if we told you that the mission-style burrito, America's most popular burrito, doesn't really exist? What do you mean about mission-style? <laughs> Today on the show, we're visiting some of the most legendary taquerias in San Francisco to learn about the history of burritos in this town from the people who have dedicated their lives to making them. We'll get to it right after this. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Okay, now for burritos. KQED podcast engagement producer Cesar Saldana went to explore the neighborhood where the legend of this popular food is centered. Mission-style burritos are kind of this amorphous thing that no one really knows how to describe, except to say that they're big and wrapped in foil. And, of course, you can find them in San Francisco's Mission District. So I start out at one of the oldest taquerias in the Mission, aptly named La Taqueria, which just celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. It's also one of the most well-known taquerias in the neighborhood and has even won a James Beard Award. The facade of the building is modeled to look kind of like an old mission. White stucco and two large archways and brickwork instead of sidewalk. When I visited around lunchtime on a recent Friday, the restaurant was packed and the line of people waiting to order extended down the block. La Taqueria is still owned and run by its original founder, 82-year-old Miguel Jara. When I got there, he was taking orders and handing roses to his customers, so I asked him what that was all about. Many years ago, this girl brought me a dozen of flowers. And, you know, I can't take them home because my wife is going to get pissed off, right? So I started giving them to people. Miguel has a big smile and a bigger personality. And when he's in the restaurant, he spends a lot of time interacting with his customers. He's originally from Tijuana, the Mexican city that borders San Diego. And he has a unique charm that, if you're familiar with Tijuana, you know can only come from there. You understand all that? 
Miguel says that the tacos in Tijuana are delicious, and the city he grew up in shaped how he thinks about food and how he cooks. And you can taste it in that taqueria's menu. And it's not just the food that he's put his heart into. Miguel has decided and shaped the feel of the entire restaurant. There are lots of personal touches. The bottles of green salsa that sit on every table in the restaurant are his mother's recipe, which hasn't changed since La Taqueria opened. But over 50 years, some things have changed, including the prices. How much were, how much was a burrito back then, when you first opened? 90 cents, the tacos were 60 cents, the quesadillas 25 cents. So I was where 25, I think. Okay, so inflation. <laughs> After 50 years. But that's not all. He says that the menu has adapted, depending on what his customers have asked for. Then somebody comes over and says, what's that? That's a quesadilla. Can you put meat on that? Well, I don't see why not. And then somebody else comes over and says, hey, could you make that a little crispy? Well, let's try it. So they made that little menu, you know. The food is obviously good, but don't just take my word for it. A couple of his customers who happened to be grabbing lunch came up to us to say goodbye to Miguel. A mother and daughter duo, they excitedly told me that they'd been eating at La Taqueria for 47 years. Maria Delia Melgar is 96. I asked her if she remembers when she first started coming to La Taqueria. She says she's been coming since the place first opened. Maria Delia's daughter says her mom loves dining with friends and family at La Taqueria. And she says that she used to go to a place like this in El Salvador, where she grew up. And even though she may be Salvadoran, she says she loves Mexican food. Its loyal customer base is one of the main reasons La Taqueria has been able to stay open for half a century. It might also help that in article after article, it's named as one of the best places to get a quote-unquote mission-style burrito. Although notably, unlike most other mission taquerias, their burritos don't include rice. But what does Miguel himself think about mission-style burritos? I don't know what's a mission-style burrito. Miguel thinks a burrito is just a burrito, whatever you put in it. But there is a sort of legend about the origins of the mission-style burrito. Before me, there was a taco place out here. It's called La Cumbre. Raul was the owner, and he had a meat market. Miki, a real wonderful woman, she always called me mijo and stuff like that when I see her, you know. Miguel says Miki cooked great food, and the story goes that the firefighters from the nearby station would come in extra hungry. So she put two flour tortillas together, filled them with rice, beans, and meat, and that's where the mission-style burrito started. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. As for the often-repeated story that burritos were originally invented in the States and not Mexico... In Mexico, they did burritos a long time ago that I remember. It used to be a place, like I tell you, 1957, 58... Boliches Corona, 
it was on the main street, and they used to have burritos there. I heard a similar thing from another Mission District restaurateur. A lot of people are claiming that it's American, and it's not. Because a lot of people do not know that Sonora do not have corn tortillas. They only have flour tortillas. So the burrito originally was created and done in Sonora. Francisco Hernandez owns El Metate, another longtime mission taqueria on Bryant and 22nd Street. He also mentioned La Cumbre and the meat market in that same woman, Miki, who originally joined two flour tortillas together to make huge burritos before La Taqueria and El Metate even opened. So if the mission-style burrito exists, we've got two taqueria founders claiming the same story. And it definitely wasn't Chipotle that created them. But when I asked about mission-style burritos, Francisco just sort of chuckled. What you mean about mission-style? <laughs> so if El Metate doesn't make mission-style burritos, what do they make? I'm very picky because I know what I, what I like and what I want to present my people, my customers. Where my only goal is fresh Mexican cuisine, fresh rice, fresh beans, fresh meats. Francisco credits his success to the quality of his food, not any sort of moniker. At the end of the day, burritos are an ever-evolving cuisine, especially here in the Bay. And at El Metate, one of their most popular burritos is even made with mole, a traditional Mexican sauce that's a meal on its own made with a laundry list of ingredients, including chiles, nuts, chocolate, veggies, and spices. It's a labor of love that everyone does a bit differently, and it's one of my favorite comfort foods, although I've never seen it incorporated into a burrito before. The day that I visited the restaurant, I had lunch with Cecilia Peñagovea, a.k.a. the singer La Doña, a.k.a. chief burrito reviewer for SFGate. I grew up coming here. I came here when, I, when it first opened because um, my, our friend Duffy, who lives right here, she started coming here as soon as you all opened. We decided to try the popular mole burrito and even went back into the kitchen to learn how to make it. Hola, ¿cómo están? Yeah, yeah. So we meet Rosendo, who's been cooking for El Metate for 20 years. Rosendo adds chicken, beans, and rice into the burrito and adds some toppings before drenching the whole thing in mole and wrapping it up in foil. And when Cecilia asks if this burrito is made in a mission-style way, He's making it the same way Francisco would back in the Mexican state of Guanajuato. Finally, Rosendo gave us the burrito and Cecilia and I sat down in El Metate's brightly colored dining room and dug in. Oh, it's really good. It is really, really good. This is a nice round and salty mole. You can tell that they obviously have gotten a good fry on the spices before they um, integrate all the ingredients. But yeah, it's bomb. And it should come as no surprise that it's so good because Francisco's mother is behind the recipe. Well, my mom's mole was never sweet. 
she said that, that the pepper had to be flavorful but not sweet. You know, like my version of the mole, it has a little bit of chocolate, it has the spices that she will use, and it has garlic and onions. It's been so popular that when we don't have it, people ask for it. And it's not on the menu. It's a special. You heard it here first. The mole burrito is a secret menu item for those in the know. And now you're in the know. Francisco's chicken mole burrito was definitely a first for me. These sorts of innovations attract new customers and keep people coming back. And like Miguel mentioned, his customers have even come up with some new inventions for La Taqueria. So at this point in the story, we've got two titans of burritos in the mission who don't know what a mission-style burrito is. The idea of its existence breaks down even further when we consider culture. So after finishing our mole burritos, Cecilia and I headed over to KQED Studios to dive even deeper. Does the mission-style burrito exist? Mm, I mean, maybe, but I think it looks different for everybody. What do you mean by that? It's not like my brain is confused and I'm like, what is it? It's more that like as somebody who grew up enduring a lot of the violences of displacement and of gentrification, I see the way in which cultural assets are packaged and commoditized. I don't know. I don't like it. Does it make you feel like mission style burritos are like a creation that maybe comes from the neighborhood and culture, but isn't for the neighborhood and culture? Like, I think that anything that's going to be like, this is the mission style, blah, 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 I automatically roll my eyes. I think that a lot of us just become very kind of sketched out when there is that vibe of asking us to identify and package any cultural asset. Like you're being observed. Yeah, it's just so like, I don't know. (laughs) What am I going to tell you? And it kind of sounds like maybe you're picking up on this authenticity. And I know that's like a really loaded word, but maybe the authenticity of the term itself and not the food. Like maybe it doesn't fit because it's made to market something that has kind of always existed and always been here. Um, I think authenticity is kind of like a marketing tool. So... I think that you just got to keep an eye on who is marketing something as authentic or inauthentic. Why are we calling it authentic and what does it serve? I realize that no one really has a problem with mission style burritos. It's the term itself that people take issue with because it feels like branding for something that has always existed and is constantly evolving. It seems like the term is trying to be bigger than the type of burrito it's used to identify. Something too broad with its defining feature being its size. And if you're from the mission, or from the bay in general, you may have never even used the term mission-style burrito. Because it's always just a burrito. And whether or not they originated with taquerias in the city, what we know for sure is that the burritos that people associate with the mission are big, tightly wrapped in foil, and arguably one of the best comfort foods you can get. As Gustavo Ariano said earlier, they taste good, they can make you feel good, and you're always going to keep coming back for more. Today's episode was reported by Cesar Saldana and produced by Amanda Font. 
Kelly O'Mara provided the interview tape from Gustavo Arellano. The voices of my KQED colleagues that you heard at the top of the episode belong to... Sarah Augusta. Josh Cassidy. Eric Don. Oscar Palma. Nick Altenberg. Alex Tran. Kelly O'Mara first got the ball rolling on this story in our monthly Bay Curious newsletter a few months back. That's a place where we answer even more listener questions, share our monthly voting round, and keep you posted about upcoming events and more. Head to baycurious.org slash newsletter to subscribe. And hey, while you're subscribing, go ahead and subscribe to the Bay Curious podcast wherever you listen. We know a lot of our listeners aren't subscribed, and hitting that subscribe button helps us out a ton. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. The team behind it includes Amanda Font, Christopher Beale, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Additional support from Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Maha Sanad, Holly Kernan, and the whole KQED family. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.